because we need the Holy Spirit to hear and to respond to the gospel today, I pray the Lord be with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the rectors here, co-rectors at the table. We are wrapping up our series on mammon. Get excited, party people. <laughs> on Palm Sunday, the final uh, uh, Sunday of this series. Isaiah, if you could turn me down just a little bit. I, I'm hearing some sort of weird echo. Thank you. Jesus says to those on his left, the goats, not the greatest of all time, but the other goat, get away from me. You who will receive terrible things, go into the unending fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And his brother James says, hold my grape juice. (laughs) And he says, pay attention, wealthy people, weep and moan over the miseries coming upon you. You have lived a life self-satisfying, a life of luxury. You've stuffed your hearts in preparation for the day of slaughter. Sheep and goats, riches, eating the flesh of the wealthy, the cries of common laborers, cries of the hungry, the thirsty, the stranger, the naked, the sick, the indebted are not only heard by God, but they will be answered by God. Pastors don't usually preach these texts. James 5, Matthew 25, unless it's hellfire and brimstone, sandwich boards and bullhorns. But what if these texts tell the truth about us and about how mammon works and about God? And what if these texts actually contain good news for us today? What if? Hear this good news, church. Our God is a God of more than enough. Our God is a God of more than enough. The kingdom of God teaches us to reject hopeless despair, rigid asceticism, exploitative hoarding, and apathetic complacency. Mammon, your kingdom must come down. Let's conspire church, to create a generous human economy together under the lordship of Christ this day. One of the distances between us and this text from James and us and this text from Matthew 25 is that James and Matthew were poor, dirt poor, soups poor, as the kids say. We must learn to read them like they wrote them, which is hard for us who don't identify as dirt poor. One of the ways I want to help us inhabit the perspective of a poor, of the poor, is is a meditative reading. One of the commentaries that's changed my life is a commentary on James by a Mexican uh, theologian named Elsa Tame. And in this commentary, she includes a meditative reading that 
was smuggled out of Chile by a U.S. missionary in 1973. See, in 1973, General Pinochet, I hope I'm saying his name right, uh, through funding and support of the U.S. government, overthrew a democratically elected president of Chile named Salvador Allende. And this meditation that Josie and Mallory are going to read was a reflection written by a working class Chilean woman about how she experienced this military coup and then Pinochet's dictatorship. I am a woman. I am a woman. I am a woman whose man wore silk suits, who constantly watched his weight. I am a woman whose man wore tattered clothing, whose heart was constantly strangled by hunger. I am a woman who watched two babies grow into beautiful children. I am a woman who watched two babies die because there was no milk. I am a woman who watched twins grow into popular college students with summers abroad. I am a woman who watched three children grow, but with bellies stretched from no food. But then there was a man. But then there was a man. And he talked about the peasants getting richer by my family getting poorer. And he told me of days that would be better, and he made the days better. We had to eat rice. We had rice. We had to eat beans. We had beans. My children were no longer given summer visas to Europe. My children no longer cried themselves to sleep. And I felt like a peasant. And I felt like a woman. A peasant with a dull, hard, unexciting life. Like a woman with a life that sometimes allowed a song. And I saw a man. And I saw a man. And together we began to plot with the hope of the return to freedom. I saw him no longer strangled by hunger. His heart began to beat with hope of freedom at last. Someday, the return to freedom. Someday, freedom. And then? But then. One day. One day. There were planes overhead and guns firing close by. There were planes overhead and guns firing in the distance. I gathered my children and went home. I gathered my children and ran. And the guns moved further and further away. But the guns moved closer and closer. And then they announced that freedom had been restored. And then they came. Young boys, really. They came into my home along with my man. They came and found my man. Those men whose money was almost gone. They found all of the men whose lives were almost their own. And we all had drinks to celebrate. And they shot them all. The most wonderful martinis. They shot my man. And then they asked us to dance. And then they came for us. Me. For me, the woman. And my sisters. For my sisters. 
And then they took us. And then they took us. They took us to dinner at a small private club. They stripped us from us the dignity we had gained. And they treated us to beef. And then they had their way with us. It was one course after another. One after the other, they came at us. We nearly burst, we were so full. Lunging, plunging, sisters bleeding, sisters dying. It was magnificent to be free again. It was hardly a relief to have survived. And then we gathered the children together. And then they took our children. And he gave them some good wine. And then they took their scissors. And then we gave them a party. And they took the hands of our children. The beans have almost disappeared now. The beans have disappeared. The rice, I've replaced it with chicken or steak. The rice, I cannot find it. And the parties continue, night after night, to make up for all the time wasted. And my silent tears are joined once more by the midnight cries of my children. And I feel like a woman again. They say, I am a woman. I don't know how to do that work for us. But we get a glimpse about how our relative wealth determines how we can see the same thing in different ways. Yeah? And if we are going to hear Scripture from the perspective of the people who wrote it, we have to learn how to see these texts from the place of a poor woman rather than a rich one. So the first invitation for us this morning as we listen to James condemn the wealthy, as we listen to Jesus and Matthew condemn those who did not take care of the poor and the naked and the sick and the indebted, those in prison, is to begin to listen as though we were poor too. So if there's conviction about our wealth, God bless that. But the wealthy in James are those who own land and take wages. There are those who travel and do business abroad. They are essentially the kind of wealthy that CEOs are today, not the kind of wealthy that school teachers are today. You tracking with me? CEOs make 300 times what their median worker makes. And then if your median, if your income is somewhere between, let's just say it's 75,000. I know for some of you, that's a dream come true. Let's just say it's 75,000. We make about five times as much as a minimum wage person makes. 
So, along with conviction we have about our affluence and wealth, relatively in the world, you and I have more in common with the minimum wage worker than we do the CEO. Exponentially so. And that's good news. Because we can begin to see how mammon does us dirty too. How the things that mammon, the, the people who are stealing the wages that James condemns, that maybe, maybe our wages are stolen too. And maybe we can begin to read scripture as a poor person. Maybe we can even begin to dare to suggest that the American dream isn't good for you either. Our God is a God of more than enough. The kingdom of God teaches us to reject hopeless despair. Sometimes we read these texts and it feels so despairing, right? We're in the most affluent country the world has ever seen. In comparison to the billions of people who won't eat today, we are egregiously wealthy. It can lead to hopeless despair. But the kingdom of God wants to deliver us from hopeless despair. From rigid asceticism, from exploitative hoarding and apathetic complacency. Mammon, your kingdom must come down. Let's conspire, Christians, brothers and sisters, to create a human economy, a generous economy together under the Lordship of Christ. Notice two, as well, number two, that Jesus and James don't condemn possessions. Jesus actually says, he actually wants us to have food to give to people who are hungry. Right? The rich in James aren't condemned for owning the land. They're condemned for using people to extract as much profit from the land as possible. Are you tracking with me? It's accumulation and hoarding that is part of the kingdom of mammon. Not ownership or possession. Sometimes we hear these texts as we think about how to confront mammon or to conspire for the kingdom, and our mind just goes to, well, I'm just going to have to sell everything and walk around in sackcloth and ashes and, uh, you know, eat rice, rice crackers. A rigid asceticism. But, but Jesus actually wants us to have things to give. Lydia is a businesswoman, an axe, who is a patron for the church. She's celebrated. There is a way of possessing without hoarding. There is a way of owning without just accumulating more and more. This is a tricky thing for me. I tend to hoard stuff. I was talking to Amy about this before the service. Uh, <clears throat> it used to be golf balls. <laughs> we lived on a golf course and I would go walking in the evening and I would like fish golf balls out of the pond and there just weren't enough golf balls for me and I've got, I've got a bin in my garage <clears throat> with 300 golf balls in it. <sighs> now it's 
now, um, now it's firewood. <laughs> Those of you who've been in my backyard have seen this, right? <laughs> my name is Matt, and I have too much firewood. Now, I, do, I don't buy it. I get it for free, and I like to split it, but I still have, and, and friends, Spotify songs. I've got a workday playlist. I have over 10,000 songs in that playlist, and it's not enough. <laughs> Some of our accumulation and hoarding isn't as innocuous as free firewood and golf balls and Spotify songs. What's condemned here is the extraction and exploitation of other people's life, their strength, what they're supposed to love God with. That's what's condemned here. But Jesus presumes we will have things to give to live in a generous human economy. That's what the kingdom of God wants to do, friends, because our God is a God of more than enough. The kingdom is abundant. And the kingdom of God teaches us to reject exploitative hoarding, keeping things from others, extracting things from others. Mammon, your kingdom must come down. Let's conspire to create a generous economy together, a human economy, a social economy under the Lordship of Christ. And the third thing is, friends, if we can read Scripture as poor, if we can look at the scripture through the poor woman's eyes. And if we, can, if we can acknowledge that having a modicum of possessions to generate a social economy is good, then we can begin to hear how God's judgment against those who oppress and exploit others is good news. The certainty of judgment against the reign of mammon is a good thing to the poor. And beloved, it's a good thing for us too. Mammon is doing you dirty. I shared this in class this morning. Most of us aren't in a place where we own a big piece of property <clears throat> where hundreds of people do work and we get rich and fat off of their work. Most of us wake up every morning, and if we don't work for one, two, three weeks, what happens? It's over. We can't afford our insulin. We can't afford our mortgage. Right? We are caught up in a system, too, that's extracting our wages. Each of us works in a land, and somebody owns that land. And we maybe aren't getting the return that our investment deserves. So, <laughs> God's judgment against that system is good news for us too. This is why, friends, we need to, while we've been talking soberly about our economy that rewards 
doesn't reward giving wages to the laborers. Right? It rewards increased profits for the company. And then Matt and Izzy saying, you know what? I think Amazon's going to have a better third quarter than second. I'm going to buy some other stock. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I will speak for me. (laughs) Hypothetically, then, Izzy and Matt buy some stock. and, And now Amazon wants to give a return for us. Right? Because we don't want that stock to go down. We'll sell it. I will sell that stock. So what does Amazon do? Well, they make record profits. What do they do with those profits? Well, they got to keep them because if they give them to the laborers who deserve the wages, guess what happens to their profit margin? It goes down. We're stuck in a system where it always has to be up and to the right. But the stock price can never dip. And so the laborers never get their wages. Friends, Scripture is clear that that is unjust. Some real talk this morning. Scripture is clear that that is unjust. It's unjust for one man to make more in an hour than I'll make in my life. Does that seem like it's unchristian to say? Not today, Maimon. So how, what do we do about this? What do we do about this? Well, we're going to convene in Easter some listening groups, some groups that come together and share the ways that we are conspiring for the kingdom and confronting mammon. These aren't solutions. We ain't going to fix this, right? The kingdom will come down, but it might take if, you know, however long the Lord tarries, but this is what we do now. So here's some experiments that are happening in our church. We just had a a family in our church that purchased a rental property to rent to some of our asylum seekers because they can't get, they can't get credit. Their credit check won't come back. They don't have, so they purchased a property and ended up that the asylum seekers couldn't live there because of work permit issues, but they rented it out to people that couldn't rent otherwise. People who didn't have the deposit. People who couldn't pass a credit check because their family ruined their credit doing shenanigans. Some of you have family that does shenanigans. Well, this person did too. Then when they went to sell it, you know the market right now, you put a house in the market and you give like people 48 hours and you get like 13 offers. Half of them are cash above offering, right? Well, this family intentionally didn't sell it to cash offers. Intentionally didn't sell it to the highest bidder but looked for a person who would have a difficult time in this market buying a home because they had PMI. This is confronting the logic of mammon. This is taking our capital and spending it on behalf of other people that don't. This is an experiment of conspiring for a human economy, caring for a person rather than maximizing profit. Do you see that? There's, there's families in our church that are deciding, that, that have decided like a lot of their energy and capital is going to cooking every night. And they're like, forget that. We live close enough to each other. Let's each family take a night of the week and we'll make enough for all of us. 
That way we free up four other nights of the week so that we can spend our strength that we're supposed to love God with in other ways. This is a human economy. This is how we invest what we have for the sake of people. Do you see that? There are those of us beginning to ask questions about how money determines uh, how good schools are. And, and many of us, like myself, I live in a place where the schools are amazing. You know how hard it is to move out of a place with an amazing school? Talk to me after the service, I'll tell you. It's really hard. Even when you're convicted that there's some injustice about how good your school is. It's hard. There's other people that live in communities where the, the schools, the free schools aren't as good. And there's families taking their children out of private, better education and putting their children collectively into the neighborhood school and saying, the school's not going to get better by us funding this private school. The school's going to get better by us committing to our kids and these families and this neighborhood school and figuring out as we go this problem. Now, I share these not to shame you and not to prescribe them to you, but to say we have to develop a kingdom imagination for how to creatively conspire to undo the hegemony of mammon and live in a more social, human economy where we're freeing each other up, we're giving clothes and food, even maybe giving wages for your labor as we conspire to live under the Lordship of Christ. We do this. This is what we do now. This is who we are. This is how the kingdom works. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.